to the Smart Connector podcast, which looks at the power of connection in business and life. Featuring solo episodes as well as a range of exciting interviews with entrepreneurs across multiple sectors, we offer tips and advice to build your impact, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons, and become a Smart Connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. Welcome to the Smart Connector podcast. I have such a wonderful guest for you tonight. Welcome, Katie McPhee. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So we're going to talk about a really important topic tonight, which is women in tech, women in leadership, women in senior roles, the challenges that women face in business in general, because Katie is founder of Insights to Action, and she actually helps close the leadership gender gap and help women thrive as leaders. What could be more important than that? So great to have you here, Katie, and we're going to get straight into it. Awesome. I'm excited. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So before we do, love to just hear a little bit about you and your and your history. So what brought you to this place that you're in today and what made you found insights to action? Yeah. So I never planned to start my own company. That was never my goal. My whole career, I wanted to be a VP sales. So my first job I came in and I was like, VP sales, that's what I want to do. And so I was in the corporate world for 18 years. Don't let my youthful appearance fool you. <laughs> and and I worked in tech primarily, so biotech and then and then sort of SaaS tech, so very male dominated. And my journey to finally reaching VP sales, and then I became an EVP sales, was really challenging. So I struggled with that transition from manager to director to VP. I felt really isolated. I felt really alone. I didn't feel like there was a lot of resources available to me. And I didn't find a lot of mentors available to me, especially as a woman and as a mom of young kids. Yeah. And so eventually I became an EVP and I like checked everything off my list, but I really felt like there was something more I wanted to do. And I started to observe the women around me, the women reporting to me or the women that maybe I was mentoring on the side, struggling with the same things I was and hitting the same plateaus that I hit. And so I thought, I think what I'm meant to do is launch my own business and, and try to help these women to make that sort of leap. I call it a chasm, right, to senior leadership, because it is a really big leap that you have to make in order to become an executive. And I wanted to help women to do that. And as a result, you know, my bigger mission is how can I help close the gender gap in leadership even a little bit? So that's what brought me here. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, well, we were talking about this beforehand, weren't we, Katie, that because tech is all about innovation, then a lot of people think that there's going to be quite a forward thinking culture that goes along with that. And it's not always the case, is it? Yeah. I mean, I've worked at some cool companies where it's like, you know, hoodies and, and jeans or whatever, like innovative technology, and it had that tech vibe. Mm -hmm. And still, I saw a difference in the way men and women were able to advance in that company. Mm -hmm. The expectations for any woman that wanted to step into a senior leadership position, you know, the old, you've probably heard this before, but men are promoted on potential, women are promoted on experience. I saw this play out time and time again. Yeah. And so it, it is, it's still a big problem. Yes. 
Well, it is a big problem. And and do you think that there is something that, that women know that that is a problem and so they feel as though they have to justify themselves in a different way, perhaps, to men? Because there's something that I've noticed that men kind of tend to be more confident, perhaps, in those kind of, you know, senior leadership roles. It's it's always, obviously, I've been a senior leader as myself as well in the media businesses that I worked in. And I think that I always felt as though I had to, I had to somehow justify myself. I had to try harder. I think I always felt that. And do you, do you think that is still the case today? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I felt that way even before I was a leader. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> even being like a young female in biotech, I yeah. know my first job that I was not taken as seriously as my male colleagues were. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's really easy to internalize these, these feelings and, and being reacted to that way. And so, yeah. you know, we see the stats, all kinds of information out there on confidence with little boys, little girls, men and women. And generally speaking, women, you know, we downplay our accomplishments. We underestimate our abilities, even though we perform at the same level. Yes. And so, yeah. And and this even extends to, you know, we're talking about moving into leadership. You've probably heard that I think it's a Hewlett Packard paper that talks about men applying for jobs if they meet 60% of the requirements and women not applying until we meet 100%. So this kind of all ties together, you know, in terms of things that can be holding us back. Yeah, definitely. And it's very hard, I think, without having a mentor or a coach or some kind of a, a, a really positive presence in our life that actually is able to validate our reality. Because we would sometimes say that and people say, oh, don't be, just, don't be silly. You know, just really, it's your paranoia, right? Yeah. But it isn't. It's real, isn't it, Katie? I mean, absolutely. So if I think about my career, I had a female boss for five months out of about 18 and a half years. Wow. <laughs> yes. And then the reporting structure changed and I had to start reporting into the local management team. That, so that was gone. And I noticed that I was, I was looking for a mentor, especially during the time in my career that I was really struggling. I was at a director level. I was trying to become a VP and I was struggling to show up as a VP or to do whatever I need to do to convince my boss to make me a VP. And I was looking for a mentor, ideally a woman who had been through what I had been through. And I, full disclosure, I never found one. I didn't find one. And I joke about this. I tried to find this email. I couldn't find it. I don't remember if it was an email or a, or a social message or what, but I cold messaged Sheryl Sandberg. (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, you said, do you want to, do you want to mentor me? Did you say that to her? I think I said something like that. I mean, I was pretty bold. She never got back to me or her, her team didn't get back to me, right? And she was already pretty famous at that point. But I, you know, all that to say, I was kind of desperate. I was, I was looking for someone who I could really look up to and, and maybe emulate a little bit who had been through what I had been through and it was hard to find. So, yeah. 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 That's really interesting point because I remember 
quite a long time ago, actually, somebody saying to me, look, we all need to have a role model, right? We need to, we're, we're going to get into these situations in our lives or, or particularly in our businesses where there's a fork in the road and we don't know what to do because nobody is actually showing us the way and we have to decide, do we do this or do we do that? And of course, as women with this additional kind of component of let, let's just say it's a male-dominated environment. If we're working in those those kind of environments, a lot of environments are male-dominated. There, there's an extra dimension. And so it's like, well, how do we respond to the advances, perhaps, of uh, yeah, unwanted advances of somebody who is kind of pretending to be matey, but you know, we know it's not really matey or somebody who's kind of dangling the carrot because they want that recognition from us as women, you know, rather than necessarily it being a professional thing, all sorts of challenges that, that tend to come up. Mm -hmm. And how do we actually respond to that? So what somebody once said to me is they said, look, you need to say, okay, what would so-and-so do? So, so, get this really powerful female, Beyonce, what would Beyonce do? What would Madonna do? What would, you know, these amazing people who you look up to and you think, you know, they're really powerful and they just have that thing, what would they do? But the thing is, that's okay to a certain point, but, you know, we still need people to actually talk to about our specific yeah. challenges, don't we? It's not enough just to have that distant role model, is it? Well, yeah, I think because you can you can visualize them and think to yourself, what would they do? But imagine having access to them and asking them, what do you think I should do? Or have you experienced this before? The power of that, whether it's a peer group or a mentor or whatever it is, or a coach, it, it is really powerful. When I think about who my mentors were, they were they were men. Mm -hmm. And I think it's I think it's actually great for women to have male mentors and, and men to have female mentors. I think the challenge for me arises when women only have access to male mentors, right? And they, mm -hmm. they don't have access to someone who maybe has the same, you know, shared lived experience, as you mentioned, right? We we might we might encounter different challenges than our male counterparts do. And I really noticed this again being a mom. And, and an executive, which you don't find that a lot. All of the men, the first executive team I was on, first senior manager team I was on, every man on that team who had kids had a stay-at-home wife. And here I was, I was like newly divorced, <laughs> single parenting half the time. Yeah. And it was like, I have no, no one understands me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's tough. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I was also a single parent. And I think a lot of the time there is more domestic challenges for women in senior positions because, you know, this is all backed up by statistics. This isn't a just a conversation that the two of us are having and we're just all sharing our biases and, you know, sort of saying, oh, you know, men don't understand us and all of that. That there is many, many proven statistics around you know, these kind of issues. And I know that when I was a single parent, I was in the same position. I was usually the only woman in the boardroom and all of the guys, you know, they had 
women at home and they would be putting the children to bed and bathing them and you know so they had they had the support and they had the wives and I was the one that had to be like no I can't stay late I can't come out for a drink because I have to go home I have to relieve the childcare I have to put my children to bed otherwise I'm not going to see them and actually it is that juggling thing is is quite hard. The biggest thing that holds women and men both back is fear and preconceived programming and conditioning. So do you think sort of just to pick up on that point, fear, I mean, obviously, we all feel fear, but do you think fear is something that, you know, obviously, in those kind of environments, men are going to feel fear and anxiety and everything as well. Do you think maybe they just respond to it differently and maybe they cover it up in a slightly different way, whereas we're there feeling more vulnerable and maybe showing more vulnerability? Mm. That's a good question. I know that when I know that I've spoken to lots of men that will say to me like, hey, I feel insecure, too. I've got limiting beliefs, too. And that's valid, right? And, and with the parenting thing, I think we should also just acknowledge the fact that there's single dads out there. Yeah, yeah. There's, right? Any Anyone who is dedicated to their family and also mm. trying to support their career is feeling this challenge. It's not only women. Yeah, definitely. But in terms of the fear, I mean, I guess I would take it back to, to that study, right? That I talked mm. about the Hewlett-Packard study where perhaps like men are just pushing through it more. Maybe it's more, maybe they're feeling the fear, but they have the confidence to still act, mm -hmm. right? Where what I see with a lot of the women I work with is they, the fear is holding them back. I think mm -hmm. that's the key, right? Like we all feel fear. We all, when I launched my business, I felt a lot of fear. Yeah. A lot of fear. When I started posting on LinkedIn, I felt a lot of fear. But the key was how do I push through that fear? It's mm -hmm. so like the problem is not not feeling fear because hey, if you're gonna try and live a life where you don't feel any fear, you're probably not gonna achieve everything you want to achieve. But are we letting it are we letting it hold us back or are we finding ways to push through? And I think it's also important to realize that, you know, we've got centuries of evolution behind us, haven't we? And it was really only a couple of generations ago that Women didn't have a choice because we just had babies all the time. We didn't, we didn't have control over our bodies. And so with that, I know certainly looking back through my family tree is that, you know, my female ancestors, they'd be having like 13, 14 babies and uh, most of them would die, you know, so there would only be like three or four or something that kind of made it through. But you think about that was women's lives, you know, for centuries. And, and so, you know, from an evolutionary perspective, talking about sort of equality of women in the workplace and so on, it's not surprising that at times we feel discomfort as, as if it's not our rightful place because it's all been kind of recent, really, in terms of our history as human beings, hasn't it? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think Part of it, it is probably that. I think that the environment we're in plays a really big role as well. Yeah, there's, definitely. There have been management teams I've been on where I just felt, I felt highly valued. I felt supported. I felt like what I brought to the table was well accepted. And, and I was, you know, I just felt great as being part of those teams. And then I've been part of other teams where I didn't really feel that. I felt a little bit like I didn't belong. Maybe I wasn't like the rest of the people on the team. And so yeah. I, but I think that some of that might naturally exist, but I do think we can overcome it. And I think it, yeah. 
a lot has a lot to do with like creating an inclusive environment for all the different types of people that work there. Yeah, well, exactly. And of course, this whole thing about diversity and inclusion is really big at the moment. And, you know, I've had some of this in my own family because my daughter's actually got ADHD and she's had some struggles with her workplace recently. And uh, so, you know, we as humans, we come in many different shapes and forms, don't we? And there has to be, I think, an awareness of our of our differences, doesn't there? And it is a cultural thing, isn't it, really? So, do you think that do you think that 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 really there is an education piece a sort of continuous education piece that needs to happen in all across all companies yeah i do i do and so i was a person who i had first i had heard a lot about diversity and inclusion <laughs> but i really had only ever thought about the diversity part and i think a lot of people <laughs> think about the diversity part right they're like oh we've got a woman on the manager team oh there's an ethnic minority check <laughs> we're done yeah. And to me, we need to focus a little bit more on the inclusion. Are we setting up, you know, are we allowing working parents the freedom and the flexibility to, you know, really feel comfortable working and also picking up the kids or doing whatever they have to do? Or if there's individuals with different like religious, you know, they're belonging to different religious groups. Are we creating inclusion there in terms of giving them a place to pray or following dietary restrictions or whatever? So this was something that really like kind of hit me over the head, maybe like a year or a year and a half ago, I was thinking about it and I was like, man, this is, this is the missing piece. A lot of the time is the inclusion part. Right. Yeah. And I would say as a woman <laughs> being part of some teams and often being the only woman, I felt this cause I would, I would, I was typically pretty vocal, you know, Hey, I've got a young family it's really hard for me to travel on these dates or I, you know, doing overnight strategy sessions are really tough when I'm, because I'm a single parent. And so when I have my kids on these certain days, you know, I'm in a tough position and it was often like overlooked, I would say, right. It was often, you know, nods at the time. And then yeah. the strategy session is like Sunday to Wednesday when I had my kids or whatever. And so, yeah, I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of nodding, people saying like, yes, oh yeah, diversity and inclusion, we're doing it. But where I see it fall down is on the inclusion side. Oh, definitely. And I, you know, I resonate so much with that because to be honest, I got to the end of my corporate career and I was like, do you know, I just can't do this any longer. I cannot do this because no allowances are being made. No, you, you know, it, it, it's just this cultural thing that I was kind of fighting against, which was we stay late. You know, we, we, uh, we pretend that we haven't got families, you know, that need us or that want us because we have, we pretend that work is what matters most at all times. And, you know, you can really, really care about the job that you do. Uh, and you can do a fantastic job as a leader of an organization without it having to take over your life and actually, you know, really ruin the experience of your family. Yeah. And I think that's, that's it really, isn't it? And it is an issue obviously that affects men as well. But I think particularly in tech, because it's such a kind of fast paced, kind of intense environment, it's just lends itself to that very sort of yeah, kind of work-obsessed, long hours type of culture, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I totally agree. Like I can think about tech companies that I've known where like they order in dinner for everyone. And, you know, the expectation yeah. is everyone's staying super late. Like, you know, maybe for 22, free dinner is worth that. Kids <laughs> <laughs> yeah. at home, you know, getting a free burrito is not really worth me missing that time with my family. And the tech culture too. I mean, oftentimes there's, there's a lot of sort of strategy sessions with hard partying and that kind of thing, right? Where again, Definitely. depending on where you are in your life and, and you know, what, what your priorities are, that's not something you necessarily want to be engaging in. So it could be really hard to yeah. push back, to set boundaries, to say no. And I mean, I was not always good at it. Full, full transparency. I, I've become like the boundaries queen, but yeah. there were definitely times in my career that I was just, I was going along with whatever I felt I had to because I thought that's what I had to do to belong. Yeah. And, and you know, I kind of grew up in media in London and it was very much the same. It was very much a kind of hard partying. Look, we work hard, we play hard, you know, and everybody has, yeah, everybody kind of has drinks on a Friday and the drinks never run out and, and all of that kind of thing, which is kind of fun in a way, but it really, really does it's fun for young single people, maybe who don't have any responsibilities, but you know, you go beyond that and it does, it does kind of become challenging, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I found it tough. I definitely found it tough. And I would say a big part of me leaving the corporate world, the biggest part was my mission, right? The biggest part was I want to mm -hmm. do this thing, but I'm not going to lie. Something that was really appealing to me was, oh my gosh, freedom over my schedule. Like no one's going to tell me on Friday, hey, we're pivoting. We need this new deck by Monday or whatever, right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that letting go of that was has been lovely. <laughs> yeah, and you know it still goes on. In fact, I was talking to a good friend last week, and he was telling me that his daughter was working for a, a company, and she booked in a holiday on Monday, and uh, they gave her like a a pitch deck to do on Friday, and said, well, it has to be ready for Tuesday morning you know, kind of knowing that she'd taken the weekend off and she'd taken the Monday off because she had something special lined up. And it was kind of like, yeah, we're, we, you know, we're put. look, we are this kind of company, you know, we just, we produce, we overachieve, we do what other businesses won't. But really, you know, it's not, it doesn't work, does it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's sort of the perpetual, I remember many times in my career, telling someone in my life, maybe my partner, or maybe, you know, my ex, probably this is it's connected six more months, you know, it's going to be crazy for six more months. And then, and then I think it's going to let up or like two more months, one more quarter. And it, it never does at, at a lot of these companies. It's, it's the same. So I think I, what I tell a lot of my clients is it's not up to your boss to create the boundaries in your life. It's up to yeah. you. And so that's, that's hard, right? It's like this idea where oftentimes people will tell me, you know, I'm totally burnt out. I'm overloaded. Yeah. My boss just keeps giving me more. Yeah. And the hard thing is the only way that you can stop that is by creating firm boundaries and sticking to them. Super scary. You know, often it's scary to implement those, but if we want to protect our own mental health, sometimes that's just what needs to be done. Well, it is really, or the, of course, the other alternative is to start our own businesses, which is why there are so many kind of, you know, female entrepreneurs who are absolutely kind of smashing it out there at the moment, because, 
you know, we really appreciate the freedom, don't we, of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So tell us a bit more about your your business, Katie. You know, what 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 is a typical project for you these days? Yeah. So I have two main offerings. I do a group program, which is I love this. It's my passion. And the reason that I made a group program was finally when I was an EVP, I had the opportunity to join a sales leader peer group. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even all women. It was actually mostly men. Um, and it was game changing for me. Like having a group of individuals who are in the same boat as me, yeah. we could share our challenges, we could support each other, we could share what's been working for us, like was just invaluable. And I realized, like, I appreciate it so much, but what I really realized was I could have used this you know, five years ago, seven years ago, and it was just never something that was available to me. And so one of my missions when I, when I joined that peer group and realized how valuable it was, was I'm going to somehow bring this to the world. Like I want, I want to create these groups. And so I've created a, a group, a small group for women who want to break through the executive level which includes me sharing frameworks and tools and knowledge and all that kind of stuff. But then it also pairs it with a peer group environment. So it's, mm-hmm. it's cohort based. So it's always a small group and the same people together and people can really like share and, and bond and support each other through the journey. So mm-hmm. that is, that is one of my main offerings. And then the other thing I do is one-on-one coaching. So I work one-on-one with women who are either executives that are not showing up the way they want to, right? So, hey, I have this great job and life and I'm miserable. So, okay, let's get into that. Or women, again, who are on that cusp of breaking through and they're, they're plateaued for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I do is I do some speaking engagements. So I do, I now do paid speaking engagements as well, which is largely, again, to help women. It's always to help women level up and create the careers that they want to create and advocate for more women in leadership. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sounds really, really fantastic. And, uh, you know, when you were talking about uh, about your groups and so on, I was thinking, you know, that would have been so amazing for me as well, you know, many years ago when I felt so alone. And I think, I think the wonderful thing about it is, as you said, just that kind of peer support really, isn't it? It's, it goes a long, long way, doesn't it? But there is, of course, always a very good reason, I think, to actually aspire to be a leader and, you know, to, to get to the highest level in any kind of organization. I mean, I am an ambitious person, so I always wanted to kind of do that anyway. But when I actually got there, I thought, you know what? Life is a lot more interesting now. <laughs> I thought, yeah, there are challenges, but in terms of the quality of the work that I was doing and the things that I was learning, it starts to get really interesting when, you, when you're when working at a very high level and when you're working at board level. I think it's a lot more fun. And I think that is the thing that you know. I, that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to get you on the podcast because I think sometimes there is a misconception that, oh, you know, you climb up the, you know, career ladder, you get into those senior board level positions, the EVP positions, and life's going to be really, really hard. Yes, the pressure is there, the responsibility, but also along with that, there is more freedom and there is more fun, I think, once you've actually, once you've kind of smashed it. Would you agree with that, Katie? I totally agree. I want to, there's a lot of talk right now 
it's very popular to be an entrepreneur, right? Or to be a solopreneur. Yeah. And I like to remind people that there's a lot of value, you know, working in companies as well. Yeah. I loved being a leader. I loved being yeah. a senior leader, actually. So I, I loved managing people. But what I really loved, like you, the further up you go at an organization, the more you get to kind of do the fun stuff of like, okay, how does this puzzle fit together? How are we going to win? Like, what is the strategy? How does my org need to be yeah. structured for success? Like all of that kind of stuff. And I really enjoyed it. And so when I decided to eventually leave, I was actually quite torn. Like I spent yeah. really like thinking on this and this decision, because I was like, there were a lot of elements of leadership that I loved and senior leadership in particular. So yeah, I agree. I think there's, there's a lot to be said. I, I would hate for this trend of people going out and starting their own thing to mean fewer women get the opportunity to move into senior leadership. Yeah, and I think the important thing for people to understand about entrepreneurship is that particularly if you have been a senior leader in an organization, which you have and I have, is that it can come as quite a shock when all of a sudden you've had that support structure around you. And I know when I was running my business, really, I say I never had to do anything. I mean, of course I did, but I had people to do everything that I didn't want to do. So I was like, you know, I had the teams around me the whole time. And as a an entrepreneur, we have to recreate that freedom and that luxury, but on our own terms. And I think it's important never to never to forget that because if, when we start our businesses, obviously we're in the solopreneur you know space and we're having to do all those things for ourselves that we formally delegated to other people. But it is our responsibility to get out of that space as soon as we can and actually get to that point where we're really enjoying our lives again and we're doing what we do best. Mm -hmm. And I think whether it's in, you know, a corporate role or whether it's, you know, as an entrepreneur, we we have that duty to ourselves, don't we, Katie? Mm -hmm. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, no one wants to spend time doing things they don't enjoy doing. And generally no. speaking, we are better at doing the things we enjoy doing. So Definitely. it's good for us. It's good for our clients or the company we work for. The big thing I have embraced in being a solopreneur is what things, what things might I have not done before, but I really enjoy doing. So yeah. a big thing is I really realized that there was a whole creative side that I wasn't really having, getting an opportunity to really lean into. And, and so I could kind of joke because, you know, on LinkedIn, I get a lot of messages of people that maybe want to offer services to me. And I will never hire a ghostwriter. I think ghostwriters are great for people who want one. I think they can add a lot of value. But for me, I've discovered a love of writing. And so mm -hmm. that's not a thing I want to outsource, regardless of where yeah. this goes. I just know that that is a thing that I love blocking off a couple of hours and, and just writing. Yeah, yeah. Whereas contracts, <laughs> I had, I've already outsourced. <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was gone. Some administrative stuff, those were things I immediately got taken off my plate because I don't enjoy them. I know I'm going to dread them, right? And I'd rather be using that time with my clients. So I think that getting to know ourselves, what are my strengths? What mm -hmm. do I enjoy doing? And to your point, getting us out of the things. Yeah, when you first start, you have to do everything. I was like, you know, building everything on my own and, and doing things that I hadn't had to do in a lot of years. 
But as soon as you can get out of that and really focus on <laughs> the value you really bring, the better. Yeah, definitely. And I, I was actually listening to a podcast myself today, which is talking about the importance of in the early days, investing in your own business and actually plowing some of your profits back into getting that resource and getting that help so that you can, you know, have a great life because ultimately your business is there to support your life. And we have to be the architects of our amazing businesses and lives, as I often say. And, you know, really the lovely thing about entrepreneur entrepreneurship is that you know, no one's fitting you into a box, right, of their making that you do actually have the chance to define your own life, your own goals, your own values, and really how you spend your time. But you have to be intentional about it, right? Yes. And I think another another element of that for anyone that is out there that might be starting their own business, I noticed there's a lot of noise there's a lot of people talking about what they're doing and you yes. have to ask yourself, is this right for me? Yes. So, you know, and you know, there've been individuals I've spoken with and I'm like, Oh my gosh, should I, should I be like hovering for this and this and this, and should I be launching this? And so I have to come back to my plan, what I know, what I know is my sort of mission and vision and recentering on that so that that noise kind of quiets down. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there will be women that are listening to this and probably, you know, guys as well who are, they're at that point where maybe they are ready to leave corporate life and actually take that leap into the world of entrepreneurship. So I think all of this is really valuable advice for them. But what is it that you would say, Katie, was your biggest lesson in terms of making that transition yourself? To entrepreneurship? Yeah. Oof, what was my biggest lesson? You know what? The biggest thing I would say is that fear does not equal reality. So, yeah. and, and, and closely, closely coupled with that is people might not get it, but they don't really care what you do, right? So I, I would say a lot of what was holding me back was, again, was fear. Yeah. And it was fear of like, what are people going to think? What are people going to think? I'm an EVP and I'm quitting to be a coach. <laughs> yeah. What are people going to think of that? And, you know, so obviously my point is that people aren't really thinking about you, but the truth is some people in my life didn't get it. And they made that kind of clear to me, right? Like, wow, you're up to lunch. We don't understand. Oh yeah. So I had to kind of like be okay with that, right? Like yeah. I'm, doing this, I'm doing this for me and maybe I'm going to look somewhere else for the support that I need. Yeah. Um, because it's a vulnerable time, right? It's a vulnerable yes. time. You you oftentimes are working through a lot of things when you're making these big decisions. And so, you know, just coming back to why am I doing this? Having that faith and confidence that you're making the right decision, regardless of what's happening around you, I think is really important. Yeah. And I think, I think, of course, when you, when we move, you know, jobs, if essentially when we're building our career, People find that easy to understand because, you know, we're stepping from here into here and it's all, it's, it's, it's nice for them, isn't it? Because it's reassuring. It's like, oh, you know, Katie's doing this and now she's doing that. When we start our own businesses, I think we do often face maybe not necessarily outright hostility, but certainly a lack of understanding and sometimes judgment mm -hmm. uh, from people close to us. And it can be quite painful. And I think 
you know, it is you're 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 so right because nobody who starts their own business is stepping into that ready-made thing that has that reassuring predictability about it that a, a job or a career actually does. So, you know, we we all need support at that time as well, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, and and knowing who you can look to for that support. Yeah. 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 So so do you do you also coach women that are making that transition as well as ones that are, you know, they they are moving up through the glass ceiling and into those leadership positions? Would you also be working with people who they're like, do you know what? I I actually this burning desire inside me has just got too strong and I'm going to make that big leap. Yes. Yeah, I absolutely do. So it was never my intention to. And then these women ended up finding me or we started working together on the premise that they wanted to move into leadership. And then they actually decided through our work that their real passion maybe was in something else. So yeah, I love working with those kinds of clients too, because when you see somebody really start to step into what maybe they were meant to do or what their deepest Mm -hmm. heart's desire is, it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, Katie, what what's on the on the cards for you then over the next few months? You you said you've got a plan. So, what what what's your kind of you know what does it look like? Yeah, so I'm running more of my my groups. Like I said, I so this was a, the group was something that initially I put together for corporate companies, corporate clients, where I would run it for their staff. Yeah. So in January was the first time I opened up for the general public and yeah. got my first cohort. And it's it's been amazing. So I'm I'm actually scaling that up a little bit where I'm gonna add, I'm gonna probably start two cohorts in the spring. And I've got a few, a few speaking engagements and I've got a bunch of clients. So yeah, it's just it's more of the same, really. I'm also in terms of my business starting to grow up a little bit in my business because it's only been, it's been less than a year actually. So wow, I left. Yeah. I told, I told my CEO that I would be leaving in December, but I stayed through Q1 last year just to help with the transition. And I went down to three days a week to start building my business on the side. And so uh-huh. I officially launched my business April 1. So I'll be coming up on my one year anniversary. And so I'm getting I built my website myself on Squarespace because I was like, I'm crafty. I can do this. Yeah. Uh, But I'm realizing now just with, you know, the types of clients and engagements that I'm, that I'm seeing that I could probably let a professional take that over. So I'm getting that redone and, and potentially even looking at some other offerings that I'm going to, that I'm going to add later on. So those are kind of just like in the, in the early, early phases. Yeah, that sounds sounds great. And and I think again, actually creating offers and putting them out to market, it is an iterative process, isn't it? Because as we work with clients, and I've certainly found this in my business, we learn more and more about our marketplace. And our marketplace is dynamic as well. It's always changing. And so that thing about refining our offers, creating new offers, tweaking you know, changing the maybe the tone of some of our communications in order to improve our message to market fit and all of those kind of things. It's all part of the creative aspect, I think, of entrepreneurship, but it can be very, very rewarding once we've kind of got the hang of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. So 
I realized in in revamping my group program and offering it to the general public, it is now what it what I always wanted it to be. So oh. I think previously offering it to corporate clients was probably maybe maybe not the right thing. I just see the women coming in now, like the energy of the group and everything. It's just amazing. So I, I completely agree with you. I love the idea of an iterative process. One, it's less pressure <laughs> to do it perfectly on day one. Yeah. Two, you learn with everything you do. And, and I'm a certified coach, but I do continuous coach training all the time. Yeah. I'm always mm-hmm. learning like, new techniques, new new ways to do things. And so I can incorporate those into my offerings as well and always just make it a little bit better. Yeah, exactly. Because if we don't invest in ourselves, you know, then why why would we ex- expect other people to invest in us? I think that thing about continuous professional development is very important to me as well. And I'm constantly, you know, I spend a lot of money on on kind of trainings and mentors and coaches and so on in order to make sure that I am right on top of all the most cutting edge stuff that's coming out in my particular niche mm-hmm. because it's worth it. You know, it just makes you much stronger as a professional and as an entrepreneur and, you know, means that you can serve your clients so much better, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a fan. So I invest, I have a business coach. I have a coach coach, like a life coach who I yeah. don't bring anything to. Yeah. Um, I'm in a coaching, like an ongoing coach training program right now and part of a business a women's mastermind group. Like, so I do a lot of that. Yeah. And always. I'm always like, be wary of a coach that doesn't have a coach. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. You, believe in it, you should invest in it. And so I'm a, I am definitely. a big fan of investing. And I can say certainly for myself, I get, I get such a return on every dollar I spend investing in these things. So I've absolutely. seen it. And yeah, I think it's so valuable. Yeah. It's just all part of the process, isn't it? And I think, I think, as you said, you know, people that invest in themselves, they really stand out. You can just tell the difference, I think, because they're just smarter. They're just more forward thinking. They're just more kind of aware and three-dimensional. And yeah, so I, I, I totally agree with you that it's important to to do that really and, and to put those profits back into your business and put them back into yourself to make your service as powerful and as strong as it could possibly be because ultimately that's what's gonna carry you forward isn't it yeah yeah for sure it's interesting because when I left the corporate world I thought at that time like I think I've, I've got everything I need to start helping people but then I keep learning more and more and more right so it's uh, it's yeah it's pretty amazing actually I, I love I'm a big believer in self self-improvement continuous self-improvement but I, I completely agree with you. I think individuals that invest in themselves, they are the ones that kind of stand out from the pack. Whatever that looks like for you, right? Maybe it looks like a coach, but maybe it looks like reading a lot. Maybe it looks like yeah. meditating. It can look like all kinds of different things. But to me, the, the common thread is investing in yourself. Well, absolutely. And I, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm also so passionate about the power of podcasting, because I think, I mean, I'm, I'm not just a podcaster. I am a vociferous consumer of podcasters. I absolutely love podcasts. And every single day I usually listen to an episode. I just, you know, I just love them. And I think, isn't it amazing today that we have access to all this amazing, you know, thinking from around the world and that you and I are talking, you're in Ottawa and here am I just outside London and we're having this great chat and it's perfect. Yeah. 
It is so, amazing. So look, it is. Yeah, it really is. It still just kind of blows my mind, really, the power of it. Yeah. And, and also what we were talking about before, which is all the people from around the world that listen into podcasts and how, you know, I was talking about how my podcast trends in all these places like Ghana and, and Sri Lanka and Venezuela and all these kind of amazing places. And you think, you know, that's really cool. That's so cool. I love podcasting. Yeah. So anyway, Katie, I just wanted to thank you so much for joining me tonight. What an incredible conversation we've had. So yeah, it's been great. So Katie, if somebody wants to get hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So I'm, like I said, I post content on LinkedIn every day. So that's an easy way to learn more about me and what I have to say. And so I'm on there just as Katie McPhee. And there's my picture, so you'll know it's me. I also I do a free newsletter that you can sign up through my page. And my and my website is insightstoactioncc.com. Doesn't really roll off the tongue. Apologies for that. But you can find it all through LinkedIn. So LinkedIn has links to everything, to all my free resources, to getting a hold of me. All of that kind of stuff can be found there. Well, that's amazing. Well, again, Katie, thank you so much for joining us. You've given incredible value to our audience tonight and really look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to rate and review my podcast as it will help me bring the power of connection to the world. I work one-to-one to to help entrepreneurs ignite the power of authentic connection in their businesses and lives. I also help them accelerate their results through attracting and converting more of their ideal clients. And if this is something you'd like to do too, why not head on over to www.idealclientsuccess.com slash masterclass and I'll show you how.